watch them grow. I dream I know deep of my feelings for you. Watch them grow. And we are officially live, everybody. Welcome to Coffee and Conversation. Um, I'm your host, Underground Media, and with me tonight is Larry Pepperman, which you all have met before. And I also have Brianna Wu with us tonight. Thank you guys for coming and having coffee and a conversation with me. Uh, tonight, we are going to be talking about gaming and extremism. A little bit of an introduction. Brianna Wu is the Executive Director of Rebellion PAC, a former congressional candidate and a game developer. She is also best known for standing up for women in tech against the alt-right during game gate. And with us again, Larry Cooperman is a business executive, a teacher, and a volunteer with Beyond Barriers USA, which I am the managing director of. And he is also the director of business development for Night Dive Studios, a company that specializes in restoring classic video games. He was named one of the first 50 over 50 most influential in the games industry, and it has contributed to articles on topics including the portrayal of the Holocaust in video games. And now with that, I am going to hand it over to you. Thank you. Um, so let me start off by saying that that we plan and prepare these presentations weeks in advance. So it, it's simply a coincidence that we were scheduled to talk about the game industry's history of turning a, a blind eye to harassment the mm. same week that uh, a large scandal broke out involving one of the largest game companies in the world yep. and, uh, and the state of California. And we'll talk yep. about this as well. Um, but while you're listening, I, I want to ask um, people in the audience to think about what you as consumers should be doing, what your role should be um, when you when you realize that that this is an industry that's fraught with with harassment. Um, mm -hmm. So so consider that as you as you listen tonight. Um, who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. That was George Orwell in 1984. Yeah. Um, at the heart of of every extremist movement, whether it's on the right or the left, is the lie. Um, and the lie is, is always a, a means of, of creating a sense of, of outrage where, where one shouldn't be. Um, Jews are trying to replace us. All blacks are lazy. Um, all history is class struggle. Yeah. In, um, in 2014, the lie was that harassment, threats of violence against innocent people, sending out SWAT teams to people's houses, all of it was justified because... Actually, it's about ethics and gaming journalism. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh every time I hear that. It's just it's it's a joke, right? Because that yeah. was that was the the line, right? It's all about ethics and gaming journalism, and you know, meanwhile, I'm getting bricks thrown through my window. Uh, so yeah, not the best. Uh, I think you're dead on, though. History repeats itself, and you know we're. Um, you know, we're, this is not the first time even an American industry has had to kind of wrestle with these kinds of bad actors. It really feels like, you know, I, I'm, I'm not quite as old as you, Larry, though. I'm right behind you. Uh, I just turned 44 this week. Um, you know, I remember growing up. 44? 
So there we go. There we go. I would have never guessed. I appreciate that. No, but I remember growing up and being in the arcades, and um, like Contra was a great game, and you'd see uh, posters for Contra with women half naked. And look, I'm I'm bisexual. I have no issue with you know sexualized version, you know, representations of women. But this wasn't. This was. You know, woman is titillation, woman is an object, woman is a reward. It all started there. And, you know, it, it just kept steadily getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, and I really feel like today we've we've kind of we've kind of painted ourselves into the corner as an industry. Larry, I cannot, I'm sure you've heard these same stories. I've heard so many women that have just flat out left the industry in the last five years. They're just burned out of it. They're tired of being treated like crap at work. They're tired of players. They're consistently abusive of them. They're tired of this Damocles sword that's over their head where they could be swatted or doxxed. And I, I really feel like this culture we've built up is a house of cards and it's, it's starting to collapse as evidenced by the Activision lawsuit this week. So, so I, I wish I could agree that that it's starting to collapse. But l let me also just point out that I'm sure there are people that are listening that that are not as as in tune with the gaming world as as you and I are. Mm -hmm. um, but the, first of all, the the acts um, that that part of the part of the the legal struggle with with Activision. I mean, these are not trivial things. Um, a woman a woman had had nude pictures of her shown at the workplace. She um, she committed suicide while on a business trip with with her her boss. Um, I mean, so these these are these are terrible things. But it's not one company. I mean, Activision follows in the in, in the the last revelations were about Ubisoft, another international company, um, and the and the accusations of Ubisoft followed you know close on the heels of uh, of Riot Games. Um, Riot Games perhaps is is not as as well known to people again. You know. Activision and, and Ubisoft are, are kind of household names, but but Riot Games owns uh, League of Legends. Uh, you know, it's one of the, the the biggest companies in the world. Um, and and you know, by all reports, if, if if half of what was said about the culture there is true, it was still a, a terrible place. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I I'm not gonna. You know, many stories are not mine to tell, and it's sometimes you know challenging to to say you know this is what women in the industry are feeling. But you know, I have a good friend of mine, and she actually was um, she actually was fired from Activision for being pregnant. Uh, back in the uh, very late, uh, I believe it was the 80s or early 90s, and she actually sued them over it, and she yeah. lost that lawsuit. Um, you know, it's unthinkable she today. Lost she lost the lawsuit. Uh, so, you know, this culture, it started back then, and the problem is there haven't been any, like, breaks on this really toxic culture. And I think this is so important to talk about. You know, Larry, I remember when... When my first GDC, when I went there, was the first time I said, I'm around my people. I yeah. felt like I was around my people for the first time. People that love to create commercial art, uh, that had that technical curiosity with development, that wanted to get really geeky with APIs, but like really had passionate feelings about games, which are, is, in my opinion, the most important art form ever. Most game developers at their heart are good people. 
the best friends I've ever made are in this wonderful field, in the press side, the development side, all the way through it. And it's why it pains me so much to say that frequently they have a blind spot when it comes to these kinds of issues. It's always someone else's the problem, someone else's behavior. And there's just generally this culture of sexism and privilege that's just, it's boiling under the surface. And I wish it were possible to communicate to men in this field how much they inadvertently hurt us in ways they're not meaning to. And the problem is the toxic workplace bleeds over into the player base. That's like right. we didn't, our, our audience didn't come out of nowhere. And it feels like we've taken this one kind of gamer for, you know, for me, 30 years. We've made them the center of the world. And we've catered to their every sexual fantasy, empowerment fantasy, all of this. We've told them they're always the hero. And we've never really asked them to reflect on their actions. And I feel, unfortunately, as much as I love the people here and as much as I love games as an art form, I feel like we deserve this hell we're in from the choices we've made. And just one thing I've got to say, it's so striking to me that I have played a thousand video games where you stand up to the Reapers or kill Hitler or stand up against impossible odds and save the day. But that simple act of a, of a man in a game studio when their coworker may be passing around nudes of a woman that just committed suicide and saying, you know, that's not acceptable behavior. That is a kind of act of heroism we just simply don't get in this field. And I think it's really time to start asking ourselves why. So, so I don't think I don't think everyone in our audience necessarily knows what what Gamergate was. Sure. Um, and 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 in particular, what what you went through. But but let yeah. me just um, you know the, the the title of our talk this evening is about about the gaming industry and and extremism. Um, the 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 sexual harassment thing just just kind of um, kind of ha happened to to be happening this week, and we we can't and should not absolutely should not ignore it. Yeah. Um, but let me just let me just point out that there that there is a, a real um, there is a real connection between what happened in 2014 Gamergate yep. and and what's happening today. And certainly the things that happened on January 6th. Absolutely. This year. And, Absolutely. And you, can, you don't have to go very far. I mean, you can see that direct connection when you look at at Steve Bannon. Yep. So, so Steve Bannon began his career at Goldman Sachs as a, as an investment guy there. Um, he then found you know a, a company that was that was reaping money that 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 he didn't understand where it was coming from he began to research was Hong Kong's internet gaming group um, from from the internet gaming group um, which was which which was doing arbitrage they were, they were basically it was based off of people um, in third world countries you know very low income who for 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 pennies um, would 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 do all of those all of those arduous things that you didn't want to do in, in in a video game to level up your character. So you know, in World of Warcraft, the famous thing was 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 boar hunting, right? You know, you you just repeated the act over and over again, and you you built up you know your 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 HP on that. Um, that that said, you know, Baden then moved from from 
his understanding of of what he had found in in online games to Breitbart, which which he ran for a while, and then to President Trump's you know campaign to Trump's presidential campaign, Bannon himself, you know, made the connection when he said, "You can activate that army. They come in through Gamergate or whatever, and then they get turned into politics and Trump." Yeah. So I, you know, I, I just want to, I just want to say that this is not unrelated to to the the main mission of Beyond Barriers and, and yeah. of underground media. Um, it, it is, it is in fact core for that. So, with that said, um, Brandon, would you, would you mind sharing what happened, your experience during Gamergate? Sure. Um, yeah, there's there's not a good way to have a Law and Order episode made about your life. Um, that's unfortunately what happened to me uh, during Gamergate. I, I can tell my part of the story. Um, basically, in 2014, uh, I had founded a game studio. We had worked so hard in you know, putting my values into action. We had a, a studio of majority women shipping a game, a really sophisticated Unreal game, uh, uh, basically starring women characters, right? So I'm just living my dream. I'm doing what the internet always tells women to do. You don't like uh, the way we uh, portray women? Go make your own games. So I said, okay, I'll go do that. I'll raise a ton of money and uh, I'll go found my own studio. So my mind at this time was very much on, you know, Larry, you and I have similar jobs, running a studio, raising capital, finding the right people, keeping them happy, developing relationships with journalists, working with Unreal to make sure we have the tech we need, you know, you know lead developer stuff. Um, but something really dark was happening at the same time where woman after woman after woman that I knew was being targeted by a mob. Uh, it started with Samantha Allen, who uh, was writing for Polygon at the time. She had made a tweet basically noting that uh, at this time, uh, Giant Bomb, which is owned by CBS, had once again chosen to not hire women and was going to remain yet again a staff of all white men. Uh, she sent out a tweet about that, and they decided to destroy her life for speaking up uh, on that. Uh, later that year, Lee Alexander was targeted, Maddie Bryce was targeted, Jen Franks was targeted, Zoe Quinn was targeted, uh, Catherine Cross was targeted, and just person after person after person was targeted by this, this mob online. And they, they put together what I call the playbook. Um, the playbook is to find someone you want to shut up and you go into their past on the internet and you research everything. You research where they went to school, you research who they dated, you look for news, you go through everything they've ever tweeted, and you find something to attack them with, with a mob. And if you can't find anything, you just take something out of context and change it to make them look bad. And they ran that playbook on woman after woman after woman after woman. And I was going nuts in back channel. You know, before I stood up to Gamergate, what people don't know is I was writing every single man that I knew with a position of power in the industry, didn't know you at the time, Larry, and asking them to act, asking them to get their butt in gear. Greg Miller, uh, Steve Butts and IGN, just I could go down a list of 50 people. And I'm like, look, these are your colleagues. Your colleagues are being run out of the industry. Why aren't you standing with them? Do you have any idea how much power your voice has? Please help us. And just by a person, no one did anything. 
So eventually, when I started talking about this stuff, they eventually went after me. And I said, I, I, I closed my laptop. I remember this so well that that day when they started, I was looking on 4chan and I saw them going through and starting to figure out where I lived, everything about me. And I closed the laptop and I knew if I kept speaking up, I was going to be targeted just like all the women I was trying to stand up for was. And I, it was a real question for myself. Like, am I going to stay silent and focus on my game studio or am I going to live up to my, my principles? And I decided the cost of being silent was too high. They went after me with everything they had. Um, the horrendous death threats that they based a law and order on, bricks through my window, videos going through my entire life. I had people go to my college and impersonate me to get my transcript and re uh, release those on Reddit. I had people go through and from pictures I'd put on Facebook, figure out a diagram in my house and release it a pattern to go commit a mass shooting and murder my husband and I, and to put that out on the internet and say, this is how I'm going to do it. Y'all feel free to do it here. Here's where you break in. Here's where you, here's where they sleep. Having all that garbage on the internet. And you know, what is so frustrating about that is at the time I really thought, because it got so much publicity, I thought that it was going to be the moment that our industry really looked in the mirror and made some changes. And I am, I really have to take a hard look today and look at this Activision lawsuit and say, we are not doing enough. And this exact same playbook, what's more frustrating is it's what's poisoning our political system right now. So, so that there, there are clear, um, there are, are clear, channels between you know what started out uh, as as a thing on 4chan talking about about games and and how it, it came to to politics but the whole idea of um of militarizing um yeah. this this group of of people of of you know disaffected people for 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 many of them i i don't i i don't know i i, I would like to give them the benefit of the doubt and say i don't i don't think that they would were, were realizing how evil what they were doing was or, or the consequences of it. I think they thought it was just another video game. That, Actually, that, can I say something about that really quickly? Absolutely. I get messages. Here's one I got today, Larry. I'm not going to read her name, but a trans woman wrote me today and apologized uh, for participating in Gamergate. Hi, you don't know me, but I owe you an apology. She tells her story about being in the closet and hating herself and spending a lot of time on, um, on 4chan. I just wanted to apologize to you for being part of a thing that caused you so much harm. I wish I could take it back, but I can't. I get messages like that literally every day. And what I think is happening is these, I think people were tricked into being digital soldiers mm -hmm. for, for a really, a really terrible cause. And this isn't the first time in history this has happened. And I think it's a really nuanced conversation we need to have about how our decision to carry, you know, the 90s message board rules for the entire internet and how we behave, how it's leading to basically radicalizing children. And these people are traumatized, Larry. Like they feel really guilty about the things they were caught up in and what they did. I mean, it's it's serious stuff. I, I wanna I want to explore that issue a little bit more, but but I mm -hmm. I think that that during um 
during the time that it's going on, I think that there's a sense of a invulnerability, yeah. and and that and it's justified because because as far as I know, um, other than a couple of aberrations, you know, mostly over swatting, um, I I don't think most of the people you know that were involved in Gamergate mm -hmm. that, that did terrible things ever had to pay any costs aside from from what the Jiminy Cricket in their own minds told them about. Yep. Yep. Um, I would agree with you on that. Not just about the whole Gamergate thing, but even with anybody, like I, I like to call them keyboard warriors because yep. you can say anything behind a key. Well, they think you can say anything behind a keyboard and a screen and get away with it. And some unfortunately do, but it, it's, it's almost like the, the keyboard and not having that interaction, you don't see the people on the other side of that as an actual person anymore. It goes back to the dehumanization. And I think what you got, Brianna, was, you know, with this person t telling you, look, I am so sorry for what I did. Like, I truly regret what I did. It's the realization that comes later that, no, this was really another person that you did this to. This wasn't just a game. This wasn't just something that happens on a screen. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and I th clearly there's there's similarities between the keyboard warriors of Gamergate and, and the keyboard warriors of the NSM, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There there really is, sadly enough. Like, and it's and even I I see it in the mess. Like when I was involved with the far right, I wasn't on mainly like the message boards. I stayed away from that because I personally couldn't stand to see it. Yeah. Because I, I I don't care who you are, you know what you're saying is wrong. Whether it's in a real reality or a fake reality, you know right from wrong. And there is something inside of you that is saying that this isn't right. You know, if any of you are listening to this, uh, stop and listen to that voice because it's not right. You know, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. Uh I want to talk about like pragmatic solutions because, you know, what, what I think I've found, I, I've had five years to think about Gamergate, you know, actually six years. And, you know, what I find really frustrating about it is, you know, raising awareness only does something if you have a plan once people are aware, exactly. right? Yep. And I feel like people are aware now that women uh, in gaming and in the game industry are harassed. Mm -hmm. um, and I think people are aware that there's a pipeline between the, the toxic fringe of the game industry, like our, our consumers, and this reactionary political movement in the, in the country. Um, that was, as you said, Larry, very easily activated by uh, Steve Bannon. We can't solve this one person at a time. And the question I get asked all the time is like, how do we move forward on it? Like there's clearly this, this link between gaming and extremism. What specifically do we do about it? And I have my own thoughts, but I wanted to throw that over to both of you. What, how would you, what do you think the action items are to solve this? Casey, I'd, I'd like you to go first because of your background. Oh, I didn't mean to throw you I, under I the bus. I was getting ready to tell you to go first. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll go, I'll go first on this. So, um, I'll go first on this. So 
I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that the, the antidote to, to extremism is not the opposite extremism, right? Yeah. That, that it's, it's moderation. And um, I have been, um, I make no bones about it, I have been a, a liberal all my life. Um, you know, I was, I was clean for Gene in, in 68. So, um, um, you know, th th there's that. Um, but, but one of the problems with, with liberal organizations, and, and, and Brand, I'm going to throw this to you, uh, uh, just a note about, about where, where rebellion, you know, might, mm -hmm. might be going. Um, we, there, there's a great quote um, that liberals can understand everything except why people don't agree with them. <laughs> and, um, and, 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 and there's, there's some truth to that. Um, you know, we, we can't have, let me see. So, so I've been a liberal since, since literally the sixties, um, you know, as, as a teenager, you know, early on working, working in, in campaigns and my, that's just cause you were a teenager in the sixties, but anyways, go ahead. That's, that's exactly, exactly the point. Um, that just doesn't go to show that I'm committed, just goes to show that I'm old. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, but, uh, uh, you know my my positions on on a lot of things and on you know things that I think are, are kind of basic truths have um, have stayed the same, um, but but it's funny when I express some things you know my um, my my more progressive friends um, find me to be conservative to the, to their point of view, and and that's that's okay I mean that's that's fine um, it's you know being progressive is is kind of a a young person's game, and they should be pushing us. That that is what their role should be. But at the same time, don't be exclusionary. Be inclusive. Form, you know, form. Well, the, the the folks. I wish Red was here tonight. Um, no. You know, I I I really do. I, I spoke with him. I really do regard him as as my brother. We don't agree about a lot of things, but there are some fundamental points of of ethics and morality that we do agree on. And to me, Absolutely. those are are more important. I mean, you know, if uh, you know, if, if I needed somebody to have my back, and I don't mean in a physical sense, but if I needed needed support from somebody, I I know that Red would you know would never turn me down, and Absolutely. that's that's an, an important thing for me. Um, I, I I love telling the story about Jeff and, and about Casey. I mean, you, you you people are are literally the bravest people that I know. Um, so 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 there is that. But you've never you've never shunned me, despite the fact that we disagree on on a lot of on a lot of points. Mm -hmm. um, so so I just wanted to put that out there. I think I think part of it is that is that our politics needs to be, we need to think about whether the center can hold. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I mean, Larry, I've had the opposite reaction with my family. You know, I was adopted, and uh, my family uh, basically threw me away a long time ago. My adoptive family, and a lot of it was mm -hmm. over political differences. Like they are hyper conservative, and it it was really like us just living in alternate realities. Uh, to be really honest, they had gotten radicalized by Fox News, yeah, and in a way that was just irreparable. So. Um, I, I think it's, I don't mean to diminish it. I think what you're talking about there, the values I certainly try to live up to. And I can tell you, uh, especially with my job, I, I do encounter the uh, idealistic progressive uh, wing of our party uh, who are great people and very enthusiastic volunteers. But I do recognize that there's um, occasionally a little bit of distance between um, 
how to get things done and how to tweet <laughs> that I think is sometimes not uh, not helpful. But for me, I, I like to think about systems, right? What systems are broken here that people are getting radicalized? And I'm old enough to remember what these conversations were like in the 90s, where, by the way, Newt Gingrich was shutting down the whole government. This was not like a, a utopia, but there was not this, um, it, was, it was a lot more civil at the time. And when I ask myself what has changed, I really feel very strongly that social media is the biggest variable. Um, you know, there's right. this pattern throughout history that we invent a technology and then we decide to discover what the effects of it are. Yeah. You know, in, uh, in Vietnam, it caused us to, you know, feel like, oh, we've got all this technology uh, as a military, we can defeat anything now. And then we went and found out that wasn't quite true. Um, you know, I think in the social media age, we are finding out this is, um, it's really good at separating us onto our own uh, bubble and just making us outraged all day long. Yeah, I want to be clear. There's a lot to be outraged out there. There's a lot to be oh, legitimately yeah. scared about right now. Uh, I, I'm very concerned about the state of our democracy. But I think the radicalization is happening in large parts because, uh, you know, Facebook particularly, but Reddit has their fair share of blame for this. Um, and YouTube does, that this algorithm is tuned to just keep you engaged. And the thing we know is that the thing that will keep you most engaged is anger. <laughs> so right. I think, I, you know, Neil Stevenson, who wrote Snow Crash, uh, he once called social media the doomsday machine. I cannot come up with a reason why he's wrong. I would definitely agree with you. Um, it's funny you mentioned like how social media keeps you in a bubble and it really does. Like we talk about at Beyond Barriers, echo chambers. And mm -hmm. I know Larry had talked about it with Larry before too. Like um, the algorithms that are meant to help in some way, shape or form in many ways do keep you stuck in those, uh, in the echo chambers, in those bubbles, because you start going down this one path and then all of a sudden all the, the only things that pop up are similar things instead of giving you a diverse outlook on different things you mentioned fox news and one thing that i mentioned to people is like look don't get your news from only one source because that will keep you in a bubble look at a couple of different ones maybe that you normally wouldn't look at i mean i'm not a fan personally of cnn but i still watch it to see what they're saying so that I can see what everybody, what ev everything's going on. Because no matter, we are human beings and we're always going to have a slight one way or another a lot of times to whatever our viewpoint is. So, and news channels are not exempt from that at all. And um, it, it's, that's the hardest thing is that you get stuck in those echo chambers and getting out of those echo chambers can be almost... I don't know how, what the word I want to use is, but it can be very painful. It's growth, and and growth is, is <laughs> yeah. always it's growth is always yep. you know out of discomfort, right? I mean that's just one of those those rules. Um, uh, you know, when you learn something new, there is a period where you don't know that thing, and you're just yep. not sure that you're capable of of knowing it. That that, that uncertainty creeps in. Mm -hmm. uh, so so there's that. Um, Real quick to get back to the original, yeah. what you had mentioned. Um, can you repeat 
the question that you posed, Brianna, because I know it was really important right. and I'm very ADD, unfortunately. No, it's, so it's it, just, fine. it went over because I got I think my thing up. is like we're all talking about individual solutions, right? What right. structural changes, what policy changes do we need to be advocating for to address like we all agree here this radicalization is is is, is 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 happening. We all agree that social media is uh, some component of that radicalization. What are the structural things we need to do to address it? And I have a couple, if I can just throw them out there and right. tell me if yep. you think I'm wrong. Um, one of the things when Congresswoman Catherine Clark got the FBI to intercede with uh, my case in Gamergate, even though they ultimately failed to prosecute, um, one of the things I learned is that there was no one, no one, literally no one, no department, no specialized task force, nothing at the FBI that was tasked to prosecute these kinds of extreme threats on people's lives on social media. I think that the FBI funding a specialized task force to prosecute the most extreme cases of threatening to murder people, which is a which is a crime, according to Danielle Citron, my friend, I think that it would introduce consequences into the equation where if people are, are thinking about doing that, we now have consequences and people could end up prosecuted, civil fines, things like that. I think that would be a very worthwhile investment. Um, I also am of the opinion that Facebook needs to be broken up. Um, I do think that if you have companies this large, um, you have a, a responsibility with the um, with the the communities that you end up building. I think Facebook is an egregious example and has shown over and over and over again they're not going to do the right thing. Um, and I do think that it's time to break them up. Uh, one of the things, if you look at uh, Twitter and you look at um, you know uh, Pinterest and some of these other smaller social media networks, they have increased their harassment policies. They have addressed this medium very specifically because of me adopted uh, uh, anti-doxing policies on their platform and other things to help address structural harassment. Uh, for whatever reason, Facebook can't do that. And I think it's time for us to look at a, um, frankly, breaking them up because they just have too much power. So, so let me say to you, when you know, when, when I was when I was a kid, the the thing that was going to be the end of the universe was when we we broke up Atlantic Telephone and Telegram, you know, right. the AT and T. And um, within a within a couple of years, we no longer had black bake like phones that you had to dial with your fingers, and you know, it, it 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 did the opposite of what people forecast. People said, "Oh, our communication structure is going to fall apart." No, that competition promoted promoted development and promoted growth. Right. And you know when you when you have monopolies, they they become moribund like like Facebook is. Yep, I, I will definitely agree with you on there. Um, and to answer the question in kind of two parts, um, one I agree with you. Facebook has gotten too much power, and it's like much. I, I would say Facebook and Twitter. Um, Although I prefer to call it Twitter because it's just, there's a lot of ugliness on there. And people, we, I think, just go to just to do it for we, the fun we get, of it. We get it. Yeah, we yeah. know. We yeah. know. <laughs> I'm, no I'm sure you know all needed. too well. Um, but a lot of these big tech companies, such as Facebook, um, are like, oh, well, we will just rearrange our algorithms. Or we'll go to this person. We'll go to that person. But essentially, you know, it, it is almost a monopoly on you know, that social media site because there aren't anything else. And as soon as something else comes along, 
it gets brushed to the side immediately. So I do agree. Like there needs to be the competition. Like Larry was saying, there needs to be something exactly what that answer is. I honestly don't know. Let, let, let me just also but, point ahead. out that, that not only is Facebook the monopoly that dominates the social media landscape, but it's also the largest source of news in the world. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's kind of terrifying when you think of it. Right. And, and we lost brief Brianna for a second, but hopefully she'll be back. Um, the other thing is too, is that we have with Facebook being that a lot of people don't realize, and I started seeing it, Facebook buying out Instagram, WhatsApp, all of these things, which makes it even more of a monopoly than the monopoly. And we're back. Yay. Oh, oh. it's okay. It's it's easy to get you back in the stream. You're good. Mm -hmm. um, but hold on. I was going to look at my notes here because I had a couple of notes. Um, for one, I agree. The whole, I think there should be... Um, a FBI task force, or even I think we need it at the local levels as mm -hmm. well, because online is where that, that's the reality that we live in today. Whether we yeah. like it or not, that's essentially the reality that we live in today. Yeah. You aren't getting typically you aren't getting threats in the mail that they can go and take fingerprints off of, but they can right. take electronic fingerprints. Yeah. It's just a matter if they're willing to do it. Yeah. I have had problems before where people have threatened me. I also had my identity stolen online, which they essentially were like, well, we really can't do anything about that because it was online. And yeah. it's like, th the thing is, is that it takes more work, but everybody has been sounding these alarming bells since 2014, if not before yeah. of, Hey, this is what is coming. I mean, heck George Orwell, Although I don't think he really knew everything that was coming. Some of it's just kind of like, here it is. But we know what it is now. So like you said, what is an action item that we can do? Mm -hmm. One, we can, we can take personal responsibility because the thing with being online, a lot of people skirt the whole personal responsibility thing. Oh, it was on a chat board. It was on an instant message. It was this, it was that. But we need to get back to society realizing that there are personal response. Everybody has a personal responsibility and every action has a consequence, whether that's good or bad. Yeah. So looking to find some way to enforce that is something that we really need to do. Yeah. Um, something else I ahead. feel really strongly about, if y'all don't mind me saying, is um, right. I feel like very, very strongly we've got to find um, basically – if you look at groups out there, they're trying to find people that have been radicalized and to like back them away from the brink. They are scrappy. They're underfunded. Um, we need that times a thousand. And I realize Absolutely. it's tough to do in a nonpartisan way, but I feel like the fabric of our very country is being torn to pieces. There's a video that came out today with a man in the hospital about to die from coronavirus and they're interviewing him, asking him, do you regret not getting the vaccine? Are you going to get the vaccine? Would you tell people to get it? This man has been so scrambled by all of this stuff that he just, he has answers that just don't make logical sense. We 
you know, it's nice to like put this on an individual and say we should all be kinder to them and we should, but I think there's a structural need for in our communities, for nationwide. If you have a, if you're a parent and you see your kid getting into this stuff in a way that's really dangerous, what help do you have to turn to? Like we need mental health resources open to people. We need specialized people in, in deprogramming people that have found their way onto 4chan and now can't have a normal social life because they just haven't had that socialization experience. And by the way, I've met a lot of those kids. We've got to fund something like that nationally and we don't need to handring about it other countries around the world have progress have like programs national programs to bring people together to give us a shared narrative to help us solve big problems and there's no reason we can't do that in america i am 110 percent agreeing with what you say and larry will know this too we at beyond barriers are 110 percent right now mm -hmm. funded within ourselves like right. we are doing this all pro bono right and I was just telling um, our founder the other day, I said, we work more than people that actually get paid. Yeah. But it's because we love what we do. We <coughs> care about what we do. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that there are a lot of groups out there that say, you know, oh, we'll do this and oh, we'll do that. Well, if the, you've been around for 10, 15 years and the problem's only getting worse, what are you doing? Right. I'll uh, I'll do a commercial message because I know you won't. Um, if, if you're, <laughs> Thank you. If, if you're if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this, and you agree that um, that this this kind of work is important and should be supported, go to Beyond Barriers USA and uh, and contribute there. Yeah. Really important work, and one by one, you can make a huge difference. I just think I think we need to fund organizations like yours with many millions of dollars. Uh, well, and uh, yeah. Because we have, we have our own in-house research department mm -hmm. that literally um, Universal Discourse actually, who's co-streaming with me this tonight, is our director of research and training. And she literally works round the clock. She has, she helps with our interventions also and has talked to some of these people that I mean, children are getting radicalized at six, seven, eight years old. Right. And it's in a lot of, I think a lot of the older generation, not talking about you, Larry, and you're not old, by the way, um, but they fail to realize that people are getting radicalized younger and younger. Yeah. I'll give you a prime example. My, well, now 14 year old, um, all of my boys are into gaming. Um, I'm actually like the cool gamer mom, but- <laughs> It's so funny to me, but he was playing Minecraft and there's a kid in there building swastikas. So he did the mm. right thing. He went in and he reported them and everything else. And now mind you, I kept my kids sheltered from what I was involved in. And I'm glad that I did now that they're a little bit older, we can have some of those hard conversations that for mom is not a very easy thing to do, but because of where I've been, I know those conversations need to happen. Um, but, you know, and he, he, it, it helped, it made me feel good as a mom that the kid drawing the swastika in there pissed him off. Mm. He's like, that's not right. You know? And I'm like, thank goodness. You know, my kid is seeing this on his own before we're having these conversations. Yeah. And, but the other thing is too, is that I saw somebody the other day, 
and a tweet. It was probably a Minecraft or a similar game. The kid was probably like eight years old and somebody was in there doing the same thing. And evidently this was um, a Jewish family because the kid was getting trolled on there and he was saying nasty things to him about being Jewish and this and that and everything else. Very anti-Semitic. And the mom was like, how do we report it? You have a report button, but are they going to really do anything? Because they don't follow up. You can report things on Twitter all day long and you're lucky. You're not going to get an actual person. You're just going to get a random response and that's it. So another action item would be it's for these companies. I don't care how big, little or small you are follow up with things that are being reported. So, so, so as, as, as part of the problem, as, as a male gaming executive, no, no, I'm, I'm serious about I know, that. As, I know what you're saying though. As, yeah. as a male gaming executive, um, the only way that you're going to get companies to do that is when there's a financial reason for them to do that. When, if they don't, if they don't follow up on a report, when you press that report button, if you don't get a response in 24 hours, they get a $25,000 fine that goes up by $25,000 every day. And you watch how quickly they get on top of that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, especially for companies, it being a financial issue, the financial is everything that like that's the one and only thing that we're, gets we're companies. We're, we're in trouble now. Brianna's going to the book. No, oh, no, no, no. I, I wanted to say this is a book written by my friend Carrie Goldberg. And, oh. you know, she's she's a really brilliant lawyer on this. You know, I realize the discussion we have about Section 230, um, which is basically the foundation of an Internet, has been hijacked by political yep. actors in really disingenuous ways. And I had the same opinion everyone else has in the tech industry before I read this. This is by a woman that spends her entire life helping people that have been targeted for harassment in court. And she outlines some real problems that Section 230 has, Larry, as you said, in trying to get these companies to answer for egregious actions in civil court. Um, a really good example she starts the book with is somebody at Grindr um, had a jilted ex-boyfriend. And that jilted ex-boyfriend started making accounts with him all day long, every day, and sending random men to his house to hook up and have sex. And he tried his best to get Grinder to address this in back channel. And they just absolutely, they had every single liability in the world with that, in part because of Section 230. I'm not saying I think Section 230 needs to be appealed or in, but I do think there's got to be a way that lawyers can get together, can open up companies to liability in extreme cases like this. Because as you said, until the financial incentive is there, it's just simply not going to get better. One, one of the things that we do poorly in America and that has been, been more and more you know, mishandled is we look at, at law and statute as though it was rich from on high. Yep. Right. And, and I would just like to point out that as somebody that, that spent a, a large portion of my life teaching religion classes, if you look at the Ten Commandments from the Jewish version to the Catholic version, they rearrange them. So if we can, <laughs> if we can fix the Ten Commandments, we can fix Section 230, right? Absolutely. Hey, Brianna, would you do me a quick favor? Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to post up in chat. Uh, who is that book by? 
Oh, this uh, is Carrie, Gold Carrie Goldberg. She's amazing. Yeah, she's a good friend of mine. When Alex Jones sued me, she gave me some excellent Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Alex Jones yeah. sued you? He sure did. Sorry, I don't know why that... I won. That's so I won. Awesome. It was great. Well, that was great. doesn't surprise yes. me either. But wow. Wow. We're going to have to talk about this off channel someday. It's a, I'll tell you the quick version. Uh, I okay. accurately quoted a newspaper article that in uh, one of his lawsuits, a bunch of child porn had been uh, dumped along with uh, his documents and discovery. Yeah. I accurately quoted that, uh, that article and linked to the article, and he decided to sue me about it and it's got laughed out of court. Label. Yep. Wow. Alex, Alex, Alex Jones took the uh, the standard thing of I don't know how that pornography got on my computer to be <laughs> no comment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we won't go on that one. We've, but... we've we've that's a separate industry problem, but we have that in the <laughs> gaming industry too. Um, I want to oh, I want to yeah. say a couple of of positive things, um, yes. if, if I can. Uh, things that that are positive that that should be aware. Um, I know a number of of my friends from the International Games Developers Association here in Las Vegas are, are listening tonight. I, I hope some people from um, the the greater IGDA, but um, uh, the IGDA issued a, a, a very strong statement today, and I want to give a shout out not only to the organization but um, to our leader there, Renee Gittens. Um, I thought it was I thought it was very well very well written and um, and and worth worth noting. Um, I also think that that if we can agree that um, that that the gaming ecosystem um, kind of kind of created this problem, I think that that we can also look at the gaming ecosystem for for some solutions. Mm -hmm. um, I have to give a disclaimer on this. Um, because I, I worked for Stardock for for eleven years. That's that's how I got my start in the in the games industry. But one of the one of the underappreciated game series and comes out every four years is the Political Machine from from Stardock. Um, I'm I'm going to assume that there's been continuity. Um, um, I, I think I've got the 2004 version of it up on my uh, up on my shelf up there. Yeah, it's up. Uh, no, it's actually 2008. The the top shelf uh, on there. Um, but it, it was, it's a very accurate political simulation game. And, um, and the, the reason that I, I tout that so much is I think that, um, that young people would get a, a better sense of, of how politics really works and, and doesn't work um, from, from that game. You know, one of, the, one of the challenges in that is that, um, you know, if, if, you don't, if you don't follow the party line, if you're, um, if, if you're a, a Republican who um, is is in favor of very strict gun control, or if you're a Democrat who um, who who feels that you know that that uh, I don't know pick pick whichever hot button issue that that abortion is a sin and and you know mm -hmm. is is against their religion, um, I, I I you know that you're you're just not going to make it to the to the stage of being the candidate. You're not going to you're not going to win the primary to get there. So I, that's an oversimplification, but I, it, it's based on um, it was at least at the time that, that I was there was based on on real polling data. Um, I'm not saying that it's going to replace civics classes. Do we have civics classes anymore for kids? Nowadays, I, I honestly don't know because we barely had it when I was in high school, and that was a while ago. And yeah, nowadays, I, I think I think when, when we tell them when we when we teach kids, you know, um, what they should know about being a member of society, we just say, "Oh, go read about it on Facebook." 
Uh, right. That's a really good point. Um, I want to return to a, a fork in what you were talking about, uh, Larry, though, about uh, specific things our industry can do to kind of address this, this harassment problem. Cause we're, you know, it's interesting. Like you, know, you gave an example of Minecraft kind of having Nazi symbolism in it. And you know, Minecraft is certainly not a, a game where the, the systems are designed for harassment, but you might look at something like, um, you know, the, the kind of macho culture of, um, you know, say, Halo, right? That that definitely does have it with voice chat. So, I mean, what what are some of the things our, well, I can give some of the things I think our industry should be doing. I think community managers are the most underpaid, underappreciated, underempowered professionals in our industry. I think it's time to start paying them like the pros that they are and to give them more authority to boot the the a-holes even when it affects the bottom line. Uh, right now, we burn and churn community managers right and left. And the result of that is these nightmare toxic communities just spring up and no one is empowered to do anything about it. I feel very strongly we need to to, to um, empower them more. I also think that when we're designing our fundamental game mechanics, there needs to be somebody in the loop whose job it is saying, how can these mechanics be used to hurt someone or harass someone? And I think both those things are, are, are action items we're not doing in our field. I think you bring up a very good point and it's something that we brought up many times in this uh, conversation. And it's one thing that, you know, over at Beyond Barriers that we keep trying to hit home too. It starts in the community. It starts in your home. It starts in the community because that's where, and then you grow from there. Because if we're not willing to make the changes within our own homes and within our own communities, how can we expect them to change it at the national or the state or the county level? I mean, you really can't because there's not gonna be any reason for them to do that. And it's, but if they're able to see that it's going to benefit it and that's what this entire community wants, then that's what's needed. Real quick, I wanted to say um, one of our viewers on Twitch said, a thing with extremism is that a lot of what groups and companies do is simply play a this is sexist, this isn't sexist video or seminar that may show sexist actions, but doesn't at all go into why something is like that. And such cannot make people begin to, hold on, uh, sorry, cannot make people begin to break their pattern and think in a non-bigoted, non-reactionary way. And I think, I just wanted to point that out. I think uh, Teddy had a very good point there because a lot of times, a lot of these companies want to be like, oh, well, here's a video. Don't be sexist anymore. Or here's a video. Don't say these things. But it's 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 like what we say here at Beyond Barriers is that you know we got to break through the barriers of our mind. We got to it's got to change here first, and then actions can follow. So sorry. I think that's that. so well said. We don't need any more empowerment luncheons for women in tech at exactly. GDC. Um, no, don't get me wrong. I love networking They're with great, other women but professionals, but it's not. We're not the problem. We're not the right. people that need to be having this discussion. You know, we don't, I gave talks at every single major tech company in the world during Gamergate. 
we didn't need them to do that. We needed them to be passing the policies I was talking about, uh, and they didn't. So, um, you know, ultimately, I see those things uh, the same way I see uh, companies that change their rainbows uh, during, uh, you know, uh, Gay Pride Month, right? Uh, It's you marketing yourself. Uh, We need to have real discussions about empowering things to fix them structurally because you know this this one at a time approach or let's all be good and stick to principles it's just not getting the job done right the, those okay. uh, those 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 videos were, were made by the same people the same companies that used to make the anti-drug messages in the 1960s <laughs> so just thought i'd point that out for That's you awesome and how well was that effective larry um uh, you know what they say, if if you can remember the 60s, you weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. You're too much. I love it. Love it. Love it. I, and, I think, I think one ahead. of the other things that, that has been said is that, um, I, I mean, I'm going to come back and say there have to be financial consequences for, for companies. Yep. It's the only way that you're going to you're going to motivate that expense. It has to be clear that the amount that they're going to have to spend to change is less than the amount that they're going to be fined if they don't change. That yep. that lesson has to be really clear. The other thing is we need more women in in executive positions. And Brianna, yeah. you said that on uh, on Twitter today. Yeah. And uh, and the first thing I did, and, and I, I'm I'm going to mention the name, but um, first thing I did was uh, I, uh, I I direct messaged um, Carly Wetzel on on my team over at, at Night Dive, um, who started out as as our community manager and is now one of our lead producers. And um, I thanked her for for sticking with the company and for um, Carly. Carly is one of the people that that left Night Dive and, and came back, um, and uh, and and for making the company uh, you know a better place. That's amazing. Good for good for her and good for you for recognizing that. Absolutely. Um, one of the other things that that I do, um, I it, it is a point personally, because of the way Night Dive is, but I, I think it's also a very 2021 thing to think about. Um, a lot of people aren't willing to go back into the office. Hmm. Yep. A lot of people have tasted that forbidden fruit of work for home. Um, I have been working from home for, for since 2011. Um, I find a lot of companies, when I tell them um, coming into the office, uh, uh, they say, no, no, we'd prefer if you stay far enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, um, you know, just, just, just send pictures of the T-shirt. We're good, um, right. but, um, but you know, I, I think is, uh, I, I think that 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 toothpaste is not going to go back into that tube. And as more and more companies um, switch to to a work from home policy, there there are two consequences to that. One is that in person harassment becomes a lot harder, right? Um, it's it, it's a lot harder to 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 do that when you're you know separated um, by by that distance. But the other consequence of that, and that that really speaks to this, is that is that the online stuff becomes more and more important as we as we switch to you know if somebody is is work from home, you can't tell them well just disconnect from the internet. Yeah, you mean you mean not go to work for two weeks? Cause that, <laughs> right, you know, exactly. That's what disconnect from the internet means. Um, so we we really do need public policy in those yeah. in those spaces. Yeah, that's a lot of why I ran for Congress. To just really be honest with you, Larry, I, I feel like it's it's not like harassment. When I ran for office, people 
thought I was just running to address Gamergate, like on a policy level. But it's not just that. It's our tech policy is a mess, our cybersecurity is a mess. Uh, you know, we need leadership on all kinds of things, you know, connected to our electronic infrastructure. And the reality is our, our current legislature is just not capable of getting it done. The people that are sitting on the Science, Space, and Technology Committee in Congress are just frankly not qualified to be there, many of them. And I, I feel so strongly, like we need new leadership. We need new people in these positions. So, so I'm gonna send everybody out to research the meme, but uh, you mean, Brianna, that the internet really isn't tubes? <laughs> I've always, I've always actually felt that that was kind of unfair that he got blasted for that because his analogy is widely correct in a it was, very wide it, sense. It, it was, it was okay. It was first of all, first of all, it was, it was, it was received differently by anyone that hasn't seen the movie Brazil. Um, <laughs> but, um, but uh, it was okay. But then he went, went on from there that that yes. his receptionist was or sec his secretary was trying to download the internet the other day and it was really <laughs> slow. And, yeah. Remember when Bush called it the internets? I still yes. call it that all the time. Oh my I, I, I'm, I'm a big one for talking about the Facebook, but... Um, <laughs> the Facebook, yes. I was actually uh, going to ask you, Brianna, um, and it's funny that you meant you've already brought up running for Congress. How was it, one, how was it as a woman running for Congress? And two, just in general, how was it? But I know being a woman and going into the predominantly male spaces is difficult anyway, as you already know. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of wanted, I was just curious what, for you personally, how was it? And then also being a woman in that, how do you think that differed? Um, well, I can tell you, I, I, obviously, there's no woman that runs for office that doesn't run headfirst into a lot of sexism. It was maybe... 30% of the sexism of the game industry, just to really be honest. I mean, I had meetings with union leaders and they called me a little lady. <laughs> and I was like, is this the worst thing that happens today? Nobody's sending me a death threat. This is great. Um, right, right. Uh, you know, um, <clears throat> I would say that part of it wasn't bad. Um, it was really more of the, excuse me, one second. You're good. Mm. It was more of the structural issues that I found. Um, you know, we raised a lot of money uh, for a congressional candidate, uh, a lot of money, and it still wasn't enough to to get it done. Uh, the reality is <laughs> you spend so much of your day fundraising uh, that it's a really high structural barrier to anyone that's challenging an incumbent. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's something I'm going to run for office again. Uh, part of the reason I took my job at Rebellion Pack is, you know, we raise a lot of money there, and that's what I'm going to need to do to eventually run for Congress again. Uh, just, so, just, just in case anyone doesn't understand that when, when Brianna's saying PAC, it's political yeah, action, political committee. action committee. Um, so uh, it's it's uh, the the gender part of it was not that bad. It was the frankly the the money raising and the structural barriers uh, that was the really frustrating part. Gotcha. Yeah, that was the other question that I had for you is that because I, I wondered because I know it, it it's not cheap running nope. for Congress. It's nope. not cheap running for any sort of a position nope. uh, when it comes to politics. So that was kind of my other question. I was going to see that was it the sexism or was it and you mentioned it, you know, fundraising mm -hmm. that takes all your time. Now, just out of curiosity, like on that same note. How are you able to pay attention? You know, how do we expect our leaders 
and people running for office to pay attention to the actual things that need to get done and the issues at hand if we're making them run around trying to get all this fundraising to be able to even get on the ballot? It's a great question uh, because the reality is when I ran for office, um, you know, I would sit in this chair and do fundraising for five or six hours a day, every day, calling strangers, hitting <clears throat> those connections. And, you know, that doesn't let up once you're elected. So um, it's one reason I personally am a big proponent of publicly financed elections. I think it would be a huge investment in our democracy. Um, but, you know, until then, I, I play the game that, you know, we're given. You know, Dark Souls is hard. Right. Still got to play it. Uh, and, you know, if I'd raised about four times as much, we would have been very competitive. Yeah, I did very well. So, um, you know, my, my temporary goals are to keep building those uh, career structures to raise money, which, Larry, you can appreciate the ability to raise money is a good talent for someone that uh, runs right. a game studio. Very yep. important skill. That's right. <laughs> uh, of, of, of all the, all the things that you've said, uh, you know, this, this evening, I think the one that I'm, I'm going to quote is, is, is that when you were asked about running for Congress, you said dark souls is hard, but you still got to play the game. I think <laughs> yeah. that's the, that's going to be my, my takeaway from this. It's totally um, true. I, I just want to add on that. Um, there are some resources. I don't know if anybody, um, is, that that's that's listening tonight is is considering um is considering a run um but there is an organization called run for something mm -hmm. that that helps people um that helps people you know begin their campaigns and you can also volunteer if if campaigning isn't something that you're ready for yet you can also volunteer to be a support person and you do things like critique candidates pitches these are not these are not Joe Biden is not getting his advice from run for something. Okay. Yeah. But, no. but the, the, the local representative in your area, um, the, the people that, that perhaps have the greatest impact on your day-to-day -day life, the, the head of the FBI is, is, is great. You know, I'm glad, glad he's doing his job and watching out for stuff, but it's the police commissioner where I live who, um, who has the greatest, you know, immediate impact on, on my life. Um, you know, so so they will they will help you run for those kind of, of local jobs, or you can come in as as an advisor or support person for people yeah. that are running for those. Absolutely, you always need volunteers. I think if I did the last few years over again, I probably would have run for state senate instead because the amount of money you have to raise for state senate is a joke. It's only a hundred thousand dollars, and I, I I'm very aware that's a lot of money, but that's something you can do where it's well, you know it's one point five million. Right. Exactly. Right. When you're comparing the numbers, that's definitely more easier to obtain. Yeah. So, so, so again, yeah. reach, re, the other part is where does that money come from and, and who, who are you obligated to on that? And, and reaching into, into my, my old bag of quotes. And, and this is, this is one that, that predates my, my existence. Um, an honest politician is one that stays bought. <laughs> it's true. Um, I, 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 I do have to say non cynically. I've run. I've met a lot of people that do the thankless work of politics because they genuinely love this country and are scared about the direction it's going. Um, I think one of the things that surprised me the most, Larry, is if you compare the competence of the average person that works in the game industry with the average person that works in politics, 
uh, game industry is wildly more talented. <laughs> like the standards we have in the game industry about things you get done and the ability to think on your feet. We just put politics to shame. So my message to anyone uh, in the game industry, particularly think about running for office, think about all the skills that you have. Pitching to media, you got that. Raising money if you run a studio, you got that. Uh, uh, solving problems, innovating. User acquisition is basically the exact same thing as uh, getting votes and getting to your win number. So uh, you've got a lot more talent at it than you may believe. Brianna, you, you have to share this one with uh, with with Frank, um, please. Uh, on that on that note, um, Babe Ruth was one once asked. Um, uh, how he felt about being paid more than the president of the United States. He paused to think about it for a moment, looked up and said, I had a better year than he did. <laughs> <laughs> That's about right. I love it. Oh yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys so much for coming on. And I definitely, definitely, if you're both are willing, would love to have you on again. Cause I mean, an hour is just not enough time to, well, we could, I could talk all day, but that's size point. Um, in closing, what, you know, we talked about action items and what we can do. Um, what would be, if you can give either one, two, whatever action items to do that an individual watching this or hearing this would be able to do, what would it be? And I'll start with you, Brianna. Um, I'll just give one. Um, and this is, it's a little sentimental for my taste. I'm an engineer, so I tend to be a very pragmatic person, but I, I heard this and I loved it. Uh, Nina Turner is one of the races we're working on. And she, she has a quote that I just think is brilliant. And it's, be hard on issues, but be soft on people. And, you know, like yeah. that, that, that young trans woman that wrote me today that had spent a lot of time harassing me. Um, you know, I, it's sometimes hard because there was so much damage there. But I found it's best for me to just forgive people right? Um, and you run into this in politics overall, like maybe someone doesn't agree with you completely on something or, you know, you think they're wrong on something or they've, they've done you harm in some way. You know, be, 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 be passionate, be hard. Don't compromise on your principles and who you are, but, but realize everyone out there has a tough road to go down and you know, the more empathy you can give them, I think the the healthier you ultimately are. I've got two points. Um, one is is to repeat that commercial message that uh, groups like Beyond Barriers USA, again, I'm I'm plugging the website, um, are are really important to go forward. And um, the most profound and important words um, in in American history are, "My fellow Americans." Mm. I think I uh, I said I wasn't going to cry and here you are making me tear <laughs> up it's all your fault not really oh my goodness. but you know how long I think people have allowed their politics to determine their humanity Yeah. and if there's one thing that I can tell people, it's like, yeah, I try to stay centrist as much as possible. And it is possible. But just remember that a person is not their politics. A person's politics, whether they're left, right, indifferent, good, bad, evil, whatever, does not determine their humanity. Um, and it doesn't 
give you the right, even if you abhor somebody's politics and they are the worst in the world and they might hold some views that are just evil beyond evil, that person is still a person and deserves the respect any person deserves. Their ideals might not, but them as a person do. And I guess the last thing would be for me is that to remember that. Remember that even though you are behind a screen and a keyboard, that there is another actual human being on the other side of that. So that's my two cents. Good note to leave on. That's really well said. Thus endeth the sermon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have a really bad habit of that. But um, all good. Thank you guys so much for uh, sticking with us today and definitely going to have you on again. And for all my Twitch viewers out there, I am actually going to raid you over to Universal Discourse. Um, If you want to know how to have discourse with people that you might not like, tell you what, she is the person to go to. So with that, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much.